Two weeks in a row. This is amazing. This is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. Out of the car. Yo, Star, you okay? Go back where he told you. Khalil, I'm not playing. Go back where... <laughs> what happens to those left behind after a race-fueled police shooting? That's the hate you give. This time tomorrow, you are back in sober living. Yeah, okay. You did not leave my sight ever. Lucas Hedges is the Timothy Chalamet you don't know yet, but really should. And he stars with Julia Roberts in Ben is Back. There's going to be a story tomorrow about me. Hugh Jackman is on the big screen and he's not singing and he's not dancing. He doesn't have metal springs firing out from between his fingers. In fact, he's up for the presidency in The Front Runner. My name is Kyron Wheatley and I've seen heaps of movies, but none of those. Luckily, Vary McIntyre and Michael Campbell Hello. both have. Now, we've got a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass to give away a little later on, but first... What did you do? Today, Garden Heights is reeling after the shooting of a 17-year-old black teenager by a white police officer. We live in a complicated world. It doesn't seem that complicated to me. The Hate You Give is the debut novel by Angie Thomas of Mississippi. It's based on a short story that she wrote in college after a police shooting of Oscar Grant in 2009. And there's something about debut novels. I often capture something about the world around the author. You know what I mean? Like the writer is just desperate to get everything down about their lives. There's a real fire in the writing. And The Hate You Give has that. It debuted at number one on the New York Times Young Adult Bestseller, which is where it remained for 50 weeks, almost an entire year. So there's no surprise that it's now a motion picture. Oh, absolutely. This is one of the classic, I think Hollywood producers were like, what, what are people talking about? What's trending on Twitter? And it was The Hate You Give and they, they made a movie about it. For those that don't know what the story of The Hate You Give is, it's about Star. And Star kind of lives two worlds. She lives in her neighborhood, which is a lower income, predominantly black neighborhood. And then she lives an entirely other life in her kind of preppy private school. And she doesn't want those two worlds to collide. But after a party one day, she's a witness to a shooting of one of her friends by a white police officer. And her kind of internal struggle is whether to come forward with this because it's going to kind of lead one of her lives to bleed into the other. And she doesn't necessarily want that to happen. It's the internal struggle about what you should do about things like this. The trailer kind of does show a little pull at the heartstrings already. Like, you know, in the trailer, it's like they get you to love the victim and then he's taken from the star of the film star. (laughs) But in the trailer, within two and a half minutes, you're already getting pulled at that heartstring. Is that what this film's trying to do, just pull at those heartstrings? It's more about activism and what happens afterwards. This character that dies is more of a figurehead. He's not in the movie for very long. He's very charismatic, Mm -hmm. so you do care about him. But I think also his relationship to star is important and we like star. So we're sad that she's sad and has been affected by this and her family is so wholesome and so supportive of her and so it's her journey dealing with this and trying to keep her life secret between her two worlds her two personalities it was based on Angie Thomas's book from 2017 and I know the author was inspired by a lot of true events Mm. this happens quite a lot so even though it's a very heavy topic it doesn't vilify any group It doesn't deify any group. It just sort of presents these things and is like, okay, here's a family that's affected and and it focuses more on that. But it also deals with such a a heavy topic that you're compelled to feel one way or another. I must admit I am kind of torn on this movie because I think that the story is legitimately great and there's some really fantastic, powerful scenes. 
but there are also some cringe-inducingly heavy-handed scenes as well. And it doesn't quite ride the line super efficiently between them. For instance, the opening, I think, is is really brilliant. It's uh, the father sitting down and Star mm-hmm. is explaining about the first time she had the talk. And the talk is normally, you know, the birds and the bees and stuff like that. But for a black family, the talk is when you get pulled over by the cops, you put your hands on the dash. And it's a really powerful, fantastic yeah. scene. And I remember thinking, this is really great. And then it kind of cuts to her at high school. And I thought, I hate this. (laughs) (laughs) This is, and I looked this up. Uh, The director is 48 and the person that adapted the screenplay is 58. And the high school scenes feel like a film directed by a man that is 48 by a screenplay by a woman that is 58. (laughs) That that language there didn't quite ring true to me. It it felt very kind of out of touch. And that's what I mean. I legitimately think the story is fantastic and it's got really powerful scenes and it's, it's quite important. Saying it's a good book. And it, it's a good movie for the most part. And then just just occasionally, I don't know if you felt this as well, just occasionally you're like, oh, come on. Look, I think the main girl, Amanda Stenberg, who we know from Hunger Games and did The Darkest Minds, mm. she is a brilliant yeah. actress. She did such a good job. She's just so natural mm. that I didn't feel like she was acting and she was so captivating on screen. Juxtaposed her boyfriend, <laughs> played by KJ Apper from Riverdale, who's yeah. very attractive. I'm sure he's a very good actor even though I haven't seen Riverdale. Next to her, he's just this caricature of a white guy. Yeah. And he's a bit trying to, like, say slang words. Yeah, and he, he can't pull off cool the line, sneakers. which is a legitimate line. You must admit that beat is fire. <laughs> but I think that wow. was the yeah. point as well because even yeah. Star cringes and she's like, no, please. That's the point. She's at this rich prep school, yeah, right. majority white students, and they're trying to appropriate black culture mm. by being woke. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to sound white saying it. <laughs> I didn't want to. Thank you. <laughs> and, and this is essentially woke the movie <laughs> so I think in, that's, in a nutshell. <laughs> that's the point, right? And yeah. then she goes back to her family and her neighborhood and that's more real and more grounded mm. and more, it's got more feeling. I was nine years old when I first got the talk. Seven, my half brother was 10. Sakani was one. And just because we got to deal with this mess. Don't you ever forget that being black is an honor because you come from greatness. Now, this is the Black Panther 10-point program. This is our own Bill of Rights. I want you to learn it because I'm going to ask you about it. I'm going to quiz you. Know your rights. Know your worth. Is it a very American story? Is there something for Australian audiences as well? Look, I think it is very American with their their gun laws and their, and their race relations. Yeah, race relations at the moment, but because we're so aware of American stories and we're so global at the moment, we still know what's going on as Australians, even though we might not have the same level of troubles that they have. We still can relate to or the at story least not in that yeah. way. Yeah, it's su- certainly like a super like relevant in two thousand nineteen kind of a story. Yeah. If this was made 10 years ago, it may not have resonated with people the way that it does now. And so I think it's the perfect time for this film to come Mm. out. Poor people, everybody at the bottom. I need to speak for him. Don't ever let nobody make you be quiet. I ain't named you star by accident. So who should see this film? I think this one's a really good one for young people. Like Star is 16 years old and it shows that she has the power and the will to change things around her and to stand up for her beliefs. I mean, it was a young adult 
book as well, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Amanda Stenberg seems to make her career out of young adult novels. She was in The Hunger Games. Yeah. Then she was in The Darkest Minds. Now she's in The Hate You Give. Yeah. She must just walk down the aisle of those bookstores <laughs> like, I'll do that one, I'll do that one. <laughs> I put my family in danger. This is on you. If I don't deal with this, then it could be worse next time. Okay. You go in, pay the man, and get right back out. Lock the door. <sighs> Just be calm. Ben is back. Stars Julia Roberts. Yes, and that's good. But I want to talk about Lucas Hedges. I say he's the Timothy Chalamet that you don't know yet because he really is. He just missed out on the Chalamet role in Interstellar, but beat him to his own role in Manchester by the Sea. And then they were both in Lady Bird. Lucas actually got to pick which role he wanted of the two. He's also been in Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel, and three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which brings his total number of movies he's been in that were nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars to four. And he's 22. And only the second actor to be nominated for Best Actor born after 1990, which is a crime. So that's Lucas Hedges. That is the name that the world will all know soon enough. So there hasn't been a screening of this one, but what we know about it is that Ben is a drug-addicted teenager who unexpectedly returns home on a Christmas Eve and his past catches up with him and endangers his whole family. So it's more of a two-part between the the two main actors. But... I'm going to maybe feel the opposite way to you, Kyron, and say that Lucas Hedges maybe isn't my favourite. Really? And I would go Timothy Chalamet over it. I know we're not comparing (laughs) actors talking about a movie, but he seems to be typecast. A lot of the films that I've seen him in, he seems to play the same character. And while he's good at that, I would like to see something different and him push the envelope with this one. And I... I feel like it's almost this rite of passage now for these, like, you're a hot young actor on the verge of making it big and you play a drug addict. So Timothy Chalamet in Beautiful Boy just recently. Mm. Before that in the 90s, you had Leo in The Basketball Diaries. All the way back to, like, 1971, Al Pacino in The Panic in Needle Park playing a heroin addict. It's like a rite of passage to be like, you got to do the gritty crime uh, drug movie first and then you'll you'll really be established as, like, this A-list actor. That being said, this one looks like it has more of a thriller element to it as well. If you see the trailer, there's people that want money back and he's having to kind of navigate between his family and people that want this money back from him. Whereas Beautiful Boy was quite a well-made and a beautiful movie, it was a real kind of heartbreaking, almost emotionally ruining movie. Whereas this looks like it's a story of a boy trying to overcome drug addiction and a thriller as well. So it's kind of got two elements playing as well. Yeah. I hope it just doesn't play up that drama though, because if it is more introspective of the the family relations and the mother trying to save her son and not rely on the the uh, wow factor I guess of the the shock yeah. of them going into drug dens and I think the family dog gets kidnapped and things like that where it just seems like these unrealistic events that they're trying to just build up dramatic tension <laughs> tension <laughs> <laughs> okay Here's the deal, and it is not negotiable. You get a day. Are you sure? So long as you pass the drug test I'm about to administer, stay clean while you're here, and that this time tomorrow you are back in sober living. Yeah, okay. Now, I'm not done. These are our terms, and I don't give a shit if you hate these rules. You do not leave my sight ever. 
You do not close the door to your room, where, by the way, I will be sleeping on the floor. And if you try to sneak off, if your bed so much as makes a squeak, I will be all over you because for the next 24 hours, you are mine, all mine. Got it? I got it. Good. I guess we, we need to also talk about the director of the film as well, who's Peter Hedges. And that name sounds super familiar because it's the same as Lucas Hedges mm. because it's his father who is in his own right like a Hollywood heavy hitter. He wrote What's Eating Gilbert Grape. About a boy. About a boy. He directed Dan in Real Life, which is a mm. very average movie. But he's a, he, Peter Hedges is kind of inconsistent. And this looks on his better side of inconsistent. But what I've seen a lot is people asking like, is it nepotism? that Lucas Hedges is the lead in the movie that his dad made. Mm. And I would think that if Lucas Hedges wasn't an Academy Award nominated <laughs> actor. Yeah. He didn't want to do it. Well, that's, it's oh, almost really? like nepotism mm. the other way, isn't it? That yeah. he is doing his dad's film is the nepotism. It's like Peter Hedges is really getting the big favor here yeah. by getting Lucas Hedges. Julia mm. Roberts asked him to do the movie and wanted him to do the film. He okay. wasn't going to do it before then. Okay. Yeah. Probably going to be that... Timothy Chalamet. Because he didn't want to be he didn't want to be on set with his dad walking around yeah, saying, "Hey dad." And in yeah. fact, he didn't call him dad. He walked around calling him Peter because he just didn't want that to be yeah. a part of the film at all. It would be yeah. weird, wouldn't it? Mm. I heard that Lucas Hedges stayed with Julia Roberts over Thanksgiving and instead of like rehearsing for the movie they just spent time together and like is that a bit privileged or really method acting to be able to just hang out with a famous person sounds like a tax (laughs) (laughs) write-off well that was Thanksgiving and then for Christmas he went back to his his family Christmas so they just had family Christmas together and they've just been on set making a like a Hollywood picture where he's calling his dad Peter so that no one knows he's his dad. <laughs> and the next day you're at Christmas lunch. Yeah. <laughs> this one's for you, Dad. <laughs> you know? Like, must have it's been so my strange. Christmas present. I'll be in your film. Who should see this film? If you like Lucas Hedges in Boy Erased, he was really great in that. Beautiful boy with a similar theme, but a bit more drama action. Or any other movie with boy in the title. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like you. I'm a big Lucas Hedges fanboy. Uh, yeah. I don't um, know how you can't be. He's 22. <laughs> Did you hear the list of credits? Yeah. He's 22. <laughs> anyway. So, so I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go see it just because generally when he shows up in a film, I tend to be like, great. Yeah, same. And for that very reason, I'm going to go see it. Also in cinemas this week, Green Book. Yeah, really heartwarming comedy drama about an unlikely friendship. And The Mule. Clint Eastwood becomes a drug mule for the Mexican cartel. You can hear about all those by clicking on the previous episode in whatever podcast app that you're in right now. Gary Hart is the man to beat in 88. If we hold ourselves to those highest standards, then the voters cannot do otherwise. Senator, I want to ask you some questions about the woman at your townhouse. Can you tell us how you know her? You can't be serious. No one is staying in my home. There's no need for that. Uh, I, I am serious, sir. Jason Reitman is known for his offbeat drama come comedies. Juno, perhaps most famous, catapulting Michael Cera and Ellen Page into stardom. But also George Clooney's Up in the Air. And everyone loves his first big flick, Thank You for Smoking. And he's back behind the camera with Hugh Jackman down the other end of the lens. But doesn't look like the front runner has that same offbeat comedy charm. No, it kind of doesn't. This one is kind of a, a more down-the-line political drama, especially for Jason Reitman, who has a really satirical, irreverent sense of humour. Mm. For instance, Thank You for Smoking uh, takes a very heavy subject matter like like this is politically and makes it kind of fun. About Gary Hart, who in the 80s, for all intents and purposes, was going to be the next president. He was the most popular. He was polling the best. He was the front runner. And then it's about the single week in his life that his 
his whole life unravels when it is found out that he's having an extramarital affair. And it even plays with themes about before this, the media didn't so much get involved with politicians and where the line is about what is personal life and what is professional life. But it's the story of a man that kind of lost it all in a week. Imagine that being enough to unravel a candidacy. (laughs) Right. So it was based on the book All the Truth is Out by Matt Bay, published in 2014. He was also one of the writers for the screenplay. So it's pretty close to what he wrote in the book. And it takes a look at the intersection between American media and the politics. The Gary Hart affair, as it was called, was the first time the media had a real influence and impact on politics. This was 1988, so like Facebook and things like that weren't invented yet, weren't even thought of. So journalism, print media was the forefront of anyone's knowledge about this. And this was the first time that the public really got an insight into politicians being real people and maybe making mistakes and how it can unravel someone's career in an entire week. There was a trend of movies, and we've talked about a few of them, Old Man and the Gun is one of them, that feels like it was almost made at a different time. And this Mm. feels very much like in the 70s and the early 80s, there was a bunch of political dramas, like all the president's men and and things like that. And it feels like one of those movies. There's dialogue Mm. scenes where there's four or five conversations going on that it's intercutting between, and you kind of have to piece it together. There's slow zoom-ins on people talking on balconies and stuff like that. It feels like one of those 70s political, not thriller, but I guess like intrigue movies. So sort of like with Marvel, how first we get Spider-Man, eventually we have (laughs) Ant-Man. Here, you start with Nixon and now we can have Gary Hart. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who else is left is on the drawing board. You know, we'll make a movie about them. Like I said, it plays it a lot straighter than Jason Reitman normally does. And I kind Mm. of wish this was more satirical. I think there's a great, like, the big short version of this to be made as well. And when I heard that Jason Reitman was doing it, I was like, great, he's fantastic at satire thank you for smoking is one of my favorite films and it just it played it a little bit too straight sometimes i don't know maybe i'm just an idiot but i got a little bit confused every now and then about who was working for who yeah definitely i felt like that too it was quite dry and straightforward and i know the director said he wanted to present all this information and just let the audience make up their mind which i normally like in a film i don't want my hand to be held but in the way that it was shot, as you said, with all these conversations and intercutting and I felt a bit overwhelmed with the information and I would have preferred it to be more clear cut because I got, yeah, there was I got confused. What it does, and this is to the film's credit, at the start it introduces you to a lot of characters and a lot of conversations on both sides of this political party and, and the news organisations and whatnot and then throughout the film it becomes clearer who everyone is and who everyone's working for, which is very much its intention. But the opening scene, which I actually think is half brilliant because it does introduce so many characters so seamlessly, Mm. but half kind of almost a mess as well uh, because I was left after that first scene being like, wait, who is who? <laughs> yeah. You have to introduce me again because like I The start of an Aaron Sorkin show. <laughs> it, yeah, it's got a lot of Aaron Sorkin in it. And I think it's even worth mentioning that Hugh Jackman is the name everyone associates, but he is like co-lead with like three or four other people. This is very much like an mm. ensemble movie and Gary Hart's yeah. story is one part and Hugh Jackman plays it super mm. well, but there's also the reporters, one of which is the comedian Bill Burr. They get a lot of screen time about mm. what they're doing and then they, there's his wife's story. So yep. it is a Hugh Jackman movie, but it is an ensemble piece. Maybe that's why it's not the satire. I don't think I've ever seen Hugh Jackman in a, in a sort of satire like that. But how is he? Yeah. How is he in this film? He brings out the big guns. He's really serious in this. He really gets into character. When I watch Hugh Jackman in films like The Greatest Showman was one of his last ones, and and Wolverine and all these, I always know it's Hugh Jackman. In this one, 
I could forget that it was Hugh Jackman, which really made me think that he did such a good job because he was just the character. He was Gary Hart for me on screen. He always kind of nails these other roles. You're right. You always think of him as like Song and Dance Man or Wolverine and nothing in between. But like it's moves like this or Prisoners from a few years ago where he plays these kind of like almost every man archetypes. Like Gary Hart is this every man politician and his character in Prisoners was every man dad. He, he does so well in these roles. I, I want to see him in more of these kind of roles. Talking about Wolverine, though, a little bit of funny trivia that I read was that in one scene, he does get really angry and starts yelling at these journalists. And I did sort of think for a second, ah, he's kind of getting into Wolverine. And apparently <laughs> the other character was so scared that he thought he looked like Wolverine that he dropped his notepad, <laughs> which wasn't scripted and they just kept it in there. So his reaction is real. Why are we standing in an alley on a Saturday night? I mean, did you think you owe it to us to be forthcoming? Oh, you. You're denying what we've seen with our own eyes. The only eyes. thing I deny is the idea that somehow you have the right to ask me these things. You're running for president. I'm aware of that, Tom. It's in the papers. Well, you have a responsibility. I know full well what my responsibilities are. Do you know yours? So who should see this film? If you're a fan of Jason Reitman and the other films he's done, it's a little less satirical than the other films he's done, but it's got that kind of Jason Reitman irreverence to it as well. If you like Spotlight with all that political intrigue, lots of points of view, there's journalists, media politicians, all of that wrapped up and something a little bit more serious than Vice. For your chance to win a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass, go to Facebook or Instagram and you can leave a comment on the Cinema Crew post answering the question, what other historical figures like Gary Hart should get a movie about themselves? If you leave your answer with the hashtag the Cinema Crew, you could win those tickets. Now, next week, you've seen the documentary, now see the drama. On the Basis of Sex tells the story of US Supreme Court judge Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Liam Neeson is starring in a new film about reconciliation. Nah, just kidding. Cold Pursuit is all about revenge. Anyway, that's next week. Until then, thanks, Cambo. Thank you. Thanks, Vari. Thanks. I'm Kyron Wheatley, and we'll see you at the very least. You'll hear us next week on The Cinema Crew, Village Cinemas.